On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we discuss the fears and threats of domestic violence and narcissistic abuse. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and today we are going to be talking about fear and threats when it comes to abuse, the feeling of fear, the fear being put into you, how that feels, you know, the levels of fear and threats and the threats that cause fear. But before we get to that, if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And a content warning for today's episode as we do discuss physical abuse in this episode. So there is your content warning there. So when it comes to fear, we will be discussing all of the terrible things when it comes to fear and and abuse. However, fear can also keep you safe. And fear tells us we are in danger. And fear is one of the most basic human emotions. And it's programmed into our nervous system and works like an instinct. And from the time we're small, we're infants, we are equipped with these survival instincts that are necessary to respond with fear when we sense danger or just something just feels unsafe to us. And at the basic level, fear guides us through our fight or flight responses. And we will also discuss today the freeze and fawn responses as well. So when we sense danger, you know, our brain reacts instantly, sending signals that activate our nervous system, causes physical responses. You know, you might feel a faster heartbeat when you have fear, rapid breathing. You might have an increase in blood pressure because Blood is pumping to muscle groups to prepare you for some type of action. And that could be, as we said, you know, you might be freezing, you might be flight, you might be fighting, or you could be fawning. You might sweat a little. Some people might notice sensations in their stomach, their head, their chest, their legs, or or your hands. And these sensations of fear can be either mild or they can be very, very strong and overwhelming. So when we're talking about abuse and what the abuser is trying to do when it comes to fear, you know, it's all about control. And the more they can instill fear in you to become a constant state of fear or hypervigilance, you know, of what's going to be coming around the corner, waiting for the other shoe to drop, walking on eggshells, the use of threats to get these things done. When you're in this constant state of fear, you know, you're you're constantly going and these are real threats that are are going on and you are you know, trying to be as safe as possible with all of this going on. But the abuser in this case is manipulating these situations and and creating this fear to keep you in this constant state of fear and anxiety. And this is a terrible place to be in in this state. And we're going to be talking uh, much more about, you know, this type of fear where it is 
being purposely induced by someone else onto you as a way to uh, exert power and control over you. So when it comes to fear, there are four, you know, responses to this. It's fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. So when you feel threatened, you know, your body rapidly responds to some sort of danger, you know, you're either going into the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn motion. It's springing into action, and this is to decrease, end, or evade, you know, the danger to kind of return to this state of calm. So a fight response is when you feel in danger and believe you can overpower the threat, you are in fight mode. Your brain sends signals throughout your body to like prepare for this physical altercation. It's an act of self-preservation that is going on. A self-defense is going on. It's a function where you move reactively toward the conflict with anger and aggression. And it's a fear state where you're confronting the threat and you're standing up and asserting yourself. You know, signs that you might be in a fight mode that are physical. You might have a tightening jaw, grinding teeth, an urge to punch someone or something, feeling intense anger, you know, a desire to stomp or kick. You could be crying. You know, you might have upset stomach, feeling knots in your stomach or burning in your stomach and just feel like attacking the source of the danger that is coming at you. And then there is the flight response. And this is believing that you can defeat the danger by running away. And sometimes running away is the best decision that you can make. So with the flight response, uh, a lot of the time you're able to discern if situations are stressful and to do your best to disengage. And sometimes when you're in an abusive situation and you're with an abuser and you do disengage, you know, you might be followed to other rooms. You know, we hear a lot on our Survivor Story episodes that someone is just going to try to disengage themselves from situations, completely stressful situations, abusive situations. If there's rage going on, they just kind of try to leave the room as best as possible, leave the home. You know, and sometimes the abuser in response to this, you know, a threat will be to kind of cut off you know, the, the room, the house, so you kind of can't get out. And we will talk about that in the threats uh, part of this episode. But uh, flight is a response that is, is used in these situations. And if you can get away, it is, for most intents and purposes, is the safest thing that you can do if there is the, a huge threat of physical abuse and physical harm that, that might uh, end up happening. You know, signs that you could be in flight mode, feeling fidgety, tense, trapped, you know, you're constantly moving your legs, feet, feet and arms, you know, restless body, you know, sensation of numbness might be going on in your extremities and also dilated eyes or, or darting eyes might be occurring if you are in flight mode. So next there is the freeze response and the freeze response sometimes happens to slow you down so you can kind of read a situation a little bit more carefully to determine the next steps. But another part of the freeze mode it relates to dissociation, immobilizing behaviors. And, and when this type of defense happens, this freezing, feeling frozen, unable to move, you know, finding yourself, you know, disassociating, detached from, you know, the reality that you are in, you know, you don't feel like you're really there, you're mentally checked out. And you're trying to leave what is happening in your surroundings and what you're feeling 
in an attempt to have this emotional safety. And we hear this a lot in our episodes, specifically when it comes to sexual coercion within a relationship, sexual abuse as well. And this is just so overwhelming for so many uh, abuse survivors. And when it comes to the freeze response, you might notice that there's pale skin, there's a sense of dread that is going on with inside you. You're feeling stiff, heavy, cold, numb. Uh, your heart might be pounding or loud. And you can also have a decrease in, in heart rate as well. And you're just sensing a lot of stress that's going on with inside your body. And then the last one here we have is the fawn response. And this is a response that many abuse survivors go into. And, you know, if you were someone that was abused as a child, you had narcissistic parents, you know, you have an abusive partner, being agreeable and helpful is your way of surviving a situation. All of these things are done for your survival. And, you know, the fawn response here, you know, being agreeable to a situation is also about your survival. You know, with the fawn response, you know, you might be realizing that regardless of how poorly someone is treating you, uh, you are more concerned with making the other person happy than taking care of yourself. And then if we get into like the physical situations, you're really just trying to de-escalate things by fawning in, in a situation to get that person to go from a rage situation uh, down a level, to get them from this point where you think that there could be physical harm coming to you to kind of get them down. If there's these in physical or if these intimidations that could be rage as well, you're trying to kind of get them to the next level to get to this kind of plateau of calmness and fawning is a big part of that, you know, being as agreeable as possible, you know, and for a lot of people who feel shame about being a fawner, you know, there's no shame in, in being a fawner. This is a way that you're trying to survive your relationship, your childhood, and, you know, these things get you through to safety. And I think that's what is, is most important to remember, that you're doing this to, to survive. So now that we've gone through fear, let's kind of get into threats. And before I get into the threats, I just want to read this quote that I found. And it goes like this. By creating a state of emergency in our psyche, fear distracts us from the relevant facts on which we should base our conscious decisions. A fight or flight, freeze, fawn, instinct kicks in instantaneously when we are afraid, leaving no time for us to question its merits. The resulting knee-jerk reaction often leads to a short-term solution that only tackles the symptoms. This act-first-think-later approach, however, doesn't address underlying causes. And this is where threats come in, because threats create an act-first think later approach. And when you're caught in abuse cycles, you are just surviving to the next reprieve in, in most cases. So, you know, when these responses that we just discussed, like kind of kick in instantaneously, and for a lot of people out there, you're constantly in, in this mode of hypervigilance, and we'll go into hypervigilance a little bit later, but when you're in this mode constantly and you're, uh, you know, kind of going through the cycles and you're just trying to survive every single day, you're just hoping for a reprieve and your emotions and your thoughts are kind of taken over by these constant knee-jerk reactions 
reactions and try, how do I diffuse situations? How do I have situations stop before they even start? And I just kind of wanted to read that quote just so you know that, you know, your instinct is the thing that's kind of taking over as far as you surviving. So when a lot of people are saying to you, like, why did you stay? You know, sometimes your thought process is out the window as far as how you're thinking about a situation when you're purely in a survival mode. It's not the same type of thinking that is going to be going on. And other part of your brain is in survival mode and just trying to get you through the safest way it knows how. And instinct plays a big part of that. And when you're constantly in this survival mode, in this instinct mode, it's hard to think differently at all when it comes to there are different ways of doing things, you know, it just, it's hard to see that when you're so far deep into survival and into an abusive relationship or childhood. So let's now get into threats and what a couple of survivors have said about threats first, and then we'll get into the different types of threats. So one survivor I found said this about threats. If the threat is extreme enough, it can feel like a loss of self, loss of autonomy. Like suddenly you are not the one in control of your own life anymore. And it can be scary. If the person making the threats is really good at it, they can add lying to the mix and alienate you by convincing others that you are the one who is behaving badly further getting you into their grip and away from possible support of others, even potentially convincing you that you are really somehow in the wrong and responsible for what is happening to you. The more a threat cuts you off from others, the scarier it becomes and more confusing it can be. And a strong enough threat can make you feel almost a little crazy as you start to second guess yourself, even while feeling the weight of the original threat itself. And another quote I found was, I've been in this situation before. It's been months and that caused some depression to me. I lost myself as I I was being threatened. My abuser controls me all the time, making me feel uncomfortable. Somehow it was scary that they knew everything, things I didn't tell them before. Some days it was crazy and I couldn't take it. It's like your life, your decisions are taken away. This other person, this abuser is the one deciding all of the decisions. The threats are so extreme. It's confusing. I'm made to feel insecure, sad, and I'm drowning in each and every one of them. And every time a threat is laid upon me, the more control that they have. So now that we've gone through a couple of quotes, let's go through four different types of threats first. The first one is verbal threats, and these threats can be made orally to intimidate, harm, or control someone. And these threats might be made directly, indirectly, or they may be expressed using, you know, veiled or deceptive language. Uh, The one up next is written threats. Basically, this is threats involving others by using written messages or other forms of communication where there is writing going on. And these threats might be direct. They could be very coded communications, you know, with emojis or things like that. And th- and this could all just really heighten, uh, you know, a sense of dread or uncertainty that is going on when it comes to these coded communications. It kind of keeps you off balance. And then after that, we have nonverbal threats, and these can involve body language, which we'll get into a little bit more soon. Expressions on the face, gestures that are meant to intimidate, compel, or threaten without using words. And they can include stares, aggressive body language, you know, invading personal space, menacing gestures, things like that that are sending a clear message of potential harm. 
And then there are cyber threats. So this is malicious activities carried out through online platforms, the intent to cause harm or exploit you, you know, expose you in certain ways on online platforms. You know, and it also could be weird emails, you know, from the government, you know, that that came from someone or the bank saying that, you know, you owe taxes or things like that. They're trying to kind of instill fear, you know, with this threat, you know, that you're going to have to pay X amount of money. They're kind of using, you know, cyber, the cyber world to 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 threaten you in some sort of way to kind of keep you off balance as well. So what is the motivation behind threats when it comes to an abuser and you have the quest for dominance you know most abusers are just like significantly more driven by a desire of power and control the threats that you are receiving are a desire of power and control you know they they want to assert their authority over you establish dominance over you maintain their perceived superiority over you you know abusive partner may use threats to rule and dominate and, you know, really instill fear in you. And, you know, a part of this equation is revenge and retaliation. Threats are also fueled by revenge and retaliation against you. You know, and this comes from also the need for dominance. And then also part of this umbrella is manipulation and coercion. So some threats are about manipulation, coercion, focus on taking advantage of you you know, focused on maybe manipulating you to put your worth into their hands, you know, that way they can really threaten to take things away from you. And uh, these threats often involve, you know, real psychological tactics aimed at influencing, you know, your thoughts, your emotions, and your decisions. And by taking advantage of your fears, you know, by, by knowing everything about you, they can really start to take advantage of your, of your fears. They know what you value and they know at that point what they can take away from you to instill fear and by threatening to take those things away from you. So now we're going to go through a lot of different types of threats that happen in childhood or relationships. We're not going to have every single one on the list. So if you have one that we haven't mentioned it and we haven't mentioned it, please send it to me and maybe we'll discuss it on a further episode. So the first one on our list is the threat of physical abuse. And this threat of physical abuse can be verbal, nonverbal. An abuse survivor knows the body language and nuances more than anyone when it comes to nonverbal aggression and physical abuse. They know if the person has that in them. You know, their body language is already telling them that like physical abuse can occur. So there's this threat of physical abuse as well, verbally said, but also non-verbally said. And it's a power and control move, you know, and this can be done to, you know, keep you in line. This can be done to keep you from leaving as well. So, you know, the threat of physical abuse is a, a huge, huge threat. And then there is the threat of leaving. So if an abuser has done a a very good job of having you put your worth into their hands, or if there is financial abuse going on as well, you know, or if you have kids with this person and, and love bombing, maybe at the beginning was just very affected. The threat of them leaving can be very, very scary. And it is used to control you. And, you know, of course, you're going to put up with this 
uh, abuse going on because you don't want them to leave. You know, you're afraid of your security in, in so many ways. And then you're also afraid of what will happen with the kids, you know, in, in these situations and, you know, the financial abuse. And then as well, you know, if the love bombing was really effective, you know, you also don't want to leave this person because your worth has been put into their hands. So the threat of an abuser leaving is a huge threat for them to maintain control. And even though it doesn't seem like it could be scary in the physical sense, it is a, a very scary one because there's just so much uncertainty about your life after, especially if there's financial control and financial abuse that's going on. And then there is another threat, which I'm going to have a few you know, put together here, which is something like, you can't talk to this other person or it's over. And like, this is also one that has to do with leaving or ending the relationship. You know, uh, I will make your life miserable until you do what I want, you know, until you maybe sometimes come back to me. Uh, you, met, you better not go out with these people tonight or else. You know, this is another form in a lot of ways of someone leaving you. They're isolating you here. They're doing that to get what they want. They're trying to put you further away from support in many cases, you know, as a way to abuse and control you. These threats are scary and you have to deal with yelling or rage or worse in in a lot of these situations. If you don't comply to what is being said, there could be rages, there could be yelling. If you do go out with people and you kind of go against what they've said, you know, they might text and text and text and call and call and call, you know, so you know that this threat is is real, that, you know, they are going to make your life miserable in some sort of way that, you know, you're never going to be able to get rid of them. And that becomes real. It's overwhelming. At that point, you might comply to what is going on, become very agreeable. So, you know, these things don't happen again, and it's used as a form of control. And then another threat that we hear a lot is taking away the kids. And this is a frightening threat for so many abuse survivors and what they deal with. And we've heard all of the horror stories on our episodes before, our survivor story episodes. We've heard the, the stories from court before. And this could, you know, they could have already set you up with baiting you into recordings or videos, audio recordings or videos. You know, they might be getting you riled up, you know, before pressing record these threats, you know, and they might have this stuff to try and say like, hey, I can take away the kids. Look at this evidence that I have. You know, these threats are real and they are scary and it is meant to control you. And the next one is, you know, has two sides to it. And that is calling the police, them calling the police on you and you calling the police on them. And sometimes, you know, police officers are not great at assessing situations. A lot of the times you do not get a great police officer that comes to your door. There are some good police officers, but there are also ones that are not. And the fear of police being called might mean, you know, your kids get taken away. This is a way to really scare you that if they call the police on you, you know, we've already talked about different types of evidences that they might have that something bad could happen to you. You know, they become the truth teller in a lot of situations. So, you know, if they're going to call the police on you, it's hard not to see only the bad things that can happen. So the threat of calling the police is is a big one and instills fear in you to just kind of keep the status quo and and try to have as little blowups as possible and to comply to what the abuser is saying. And then on the flip side of that, 
if you call the police or you, you're the one that wants to call the police, you might get the threat of if you call the police, you know, you, that's not a great decision. You'll see what happens after. And that might mean physical abuse. That might be raging. That might be yelling. But also they could bring up like you'll be breaking up the family. They might play this like the guilt card, you know, your, your, the threat of destroying this family unit, the threat of, you know, they could be playing the victims. So the threat of them going to jail and how much you'll be ruining their life, the threat that you're the one that's going to be ruining everything if you call the police. They can really flip it around on you. So, you know, you're going to not make that call or you drop charges. You know, don't don't you want this relationship to continue this way? If you call the police on me, you're going to be breaking up the family and your your kids won't have uh, another parent. So this is like a really huge threat that can be done in, in two different ways. And fear is being instilled in you to control and manipulate the situation in, in a huge way to kind of just keep the status quo here once again. And then another one that's very similar to this is calling child services on you. And this can also be a very serious threat. You don't want child services being called on you. And again, they could have some sort of videos or one-sided things. They might have a smear campaign already against you to have people testify against who you are. So that is a real and uh, scary threat that will keep you uh, under their control and under an abuser's control. And another threat is the silent treatment. The silent treatment to me is a threat. And this has you thinking, I'm in trouble. You become scared. You could become frightened. What did I do wrong? You might wonder if the abuser is going to leave you. And there's this quote from from a horror director, John Carpenter. He's made many movies like Halloween. And he says the scariest thing is the fear of the unknown. And with the silent treatment going on, it keeps you off balance. There's this unknown that is going on. And it's a it's a threat because you just really don't know what's going on 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 the other side. You don't know if they're going to be leaving, but you also don't know if you're going to be getting rage as well after that silent treatment is over. You know, every different abuser has different types of cycles of what that silent treatment means. And, you know, silence is, you know, sometimes the calm before a storm as well, as far as rage and possible physical abuse. So the silent treatment is a threat. And up next, we have the threat of kicking you out of your home. Having no place to live is a huge threat. And it is scary and is a huge fear for so many people, especially, you know, the people that are being financially abused. You know, this becomes a huge, big, big, big real threat. And this is a power and control move. So you won't leave, you know, when it comes to financial abuse, the threat of kicking you out of your home and that you'll have nothing at all, you'll be out on, on the street, it is a huge threat. And so many people stay in relationships because of, of this threat. And this can go hand in hand with the threat of restricting money uh, from you, you know, threats to take away all means of money. This is part of financial abuse and control. And the next threat that we have on our list is telling everyone lies about you or saying no one will believe you. You know, the threat of being smeared, especially if the abuser is well liked by a group of friends, the community, you know, they have no clue what they are like behind closed doors. So why would they lie? You know, they could have set you up, you know, with reactions in in public in front of other people to make those lies even more believable. You know, 
so they could be isolating you. So there's a lot of fear that is going on. And, you know, in that isolation feeling when, you know, your abuser is threatening this, it could feel like it's a pit in your stomach, you know, feeling like you are alone, like at a bottom of a well. It's an isolating and, and controlling uh, tactic that is very effective. You know, you know, the idea of you being smeared, and you know that they already have probably set things in motion for it to for you to look like um, that you could be the, the the bad person in a situation. And then there are threats that include hitting or breaking personal items in the home. And this shows that the abuser has the ability to cause physical harm. And this is a scary threat to control you. And you know that escalation can happen from there and you don't want it to go there. So a lot of people might go into, you know, a a fawn response here. You know, people might try to escape the situation as a whole, and then you could get some blocked off rooms and we'll get off to blocked off rooms soon. But you know, this is a, a threat to your personal uh, safety, and it is a way to control you to conform to what the abuser wants, and uh, their form of this is just a, another form of control. And this takes us into the next threat, and that threat could be: I will kill you, I will harm the kids, I will harm friends or family. And this one is self-explanatory, and why this is a fear, and why it is real. You know, in the United States, fifty-five percent of all homicides when it comes to homicides in women are IPV intimate partner violence related from this this is from the CDC in 2017 it is it, it, this is a scary statistic and this keeps people in relationships for for much longer when it comes to these threats because they are very 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 real and then the next threat that we have is having firearms or weapons being left in the open inside the home or it's possible that the person has these pictures with firearms and things on social media, you know, with uh, firearms or weapons. It's a huge threat to your physical safety. It's very jarring when you see them. You know, it's scary. It's attempt to control you without them being there. You know, they could be brandishing it, but a lot of times when these things are left at home or for you to kind of see online it's scary just knowing that they have these things and that they're kind of showcasing them to you and it's a way for you to kind of just keep in line and it's another form of control it's just very 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 scary and another threat i have here is a non-verbal one and it's just cutting off rooms and to me cutting off rooms is a threat and it is a threat to your physical safety it's scary it's intimidating and it's a huge power and control move you are trying to get around them it's possible that you might put your hands on them to get them out of the way that they might try to flip those things around on you or, or use it as justification to then abuse you when they're doing this when they're cutting off these rooms it's like saying that you know you should never cross me what i say goes i'm always right i can do whatever i want you can't get away from me i won't leave you alone it's very very scary and then, you know, the idea that if you are trying to get them out of the way and you do put your hands on them, you know, you're doing it in self-defense, trying to get out of a scary situation, you know, that could turn into police being called and things like that. And there's these kernels of truths that might be in there that could be flipped around in so many different ways. And if you've been manipulated and there's gaslighting and sowing the seeds of doubt, this could be a really big issue. So like cutting off of rooms, things can escalate in so many different ways 
ways here. And it's just a huge, huge, huge threat. And it's very, very, very scary. And it's very real. And up next, we have hovering over you or following you into rooms. And this is a threat. And it is saying, I am always watching you. I won't leave you alone. You will never have peace. It's intimidation. You have no boundaries. You are mine. It's very possessive. You know, control and power is going on right here. And it feels like you are under a constant state of attack you know, when this is going on, like the hovering and following you into rooms and things can really escalate from here if you're trying to get away from these situations. And it's a very, very scary thing. And it is very intimidating and it is a real threat and it is constant. And this can cause, you know, things can really escalate from here. So this is very, very scary, you know, if you're trying to just get away from it because you have no idea what the reaction uh, will be and most likely things will would escalate uh, when you have a response to it no matter what it is and another threat is just stalking and this is a threat and intimidation and this can be in a relationship you know they might be following you out uh, places because they want power and control over you they want to be able to see what you're doing to kind of um you know, use that against you. And this can happen outside of the relationship if the relationship is over and it is a threat and is scary as a threat on, you know, your physical well-being, everything about you. And it is a way to frighten you. And, you know, it's a big, you know, big move to just really scare you when it comes to stalking. And it's used to maintain control over you that you're there in your thoughts. You know, you know, it keeps you on high alert all the time. And it's just a real big threat to your physical safety and your mental safety as well. And then another threat that can happen is that they might threaten that they might take their own life or that they won't be able to survive without you. And this is a real threat and it puts fear into so many empathetic people out there. And you believe that their life is in your hands and this plays into guilt and fear. And it is a form of control to keep you in the relationship or to, you know, pull you back if you've already left. And another one we have on our list here are looks or body language that can become a threat. And as I stated earlier, these involve body language, expressions on the face or gestures that are meant to intimidate, compel or threaten you without using words. And these can include menacing gestures that just send a clear message of potential harm. And you know the nuances, you know, everyone is has individual nuances when it comes to the abuser in their life. And this can be done in public and in front of other people. It can be invisible, and most likely it is invisible in front of others. Body language is just, is just saying, you're going to be in trouble when we get home. And you know what these looks mean, and they are threats to what might happen when you know, you're behind closed doors to kind of get you to stop doing what you're doing in, in public, get you to conform, or you know, it might not be stopping you from doing anything in public of who you're talking to or what you're talking about, but more in a sense of like, it's just their mood today, and that's how they're feeling, and they want to kind of put fear in you that when you get home, you're going to be in trouble in some way, and that might be physical, it might be rages, you know, there's just going to be a lot of intimidation, and it's very, and it's very scary, and it's controlling. And up next, we have 
blackmail and this is a threat and this is photos videos of things you know it could be you in compromising positions that they might have you know it might be audio recordings of things you might have said about others that were supposed to be private you know things that they could expose you with to make you look bad you know in the court of public opinion but also in court you know with friends you know it could be embarrassing you know just videos and recordings that could happen, conversations to make you look bad. And and a lot of these things might have been recorded or or audio, video, and it was something where they did something before to get you riled up and you're reacting in self-defense. And, you know, this is a huge uh, threat uh, when it comes to uh, abuse and the threat of blackmail because this happens and it happens a lot more than people think. And it is uh, very scary because you don't know, you know, the outcome after if someone has this, what they can do with that when it comes to court, custody, smearing, support, things along those lines. And then another threat that we have on our list is when it comes to childcare, threats to not pick up kids or take care of them. And it, this is very real and it not just harms your schedule, it puts you at their mercy to control you. And it's also harmful to the kids if they follow through on these threats, because these are very real threats that they can do. And, you know, the kids then might feel scared or abandoned if they do follow through on these threats. And that could be blamed on you very easily. And, you know, it's done to really throw you off. It's very discombobulating. It's anxiety inducing. It's a real threat. And it's something that they can really use against you to exert their power and control, especially after, you know, uh, the, the marriage or the partnership is over and, you know, you're doing shared child care. And another one that has to do with this as well is threats to not return children. And this is a huge threat. And this keeps you in line in the form of control. But also, if they have been really inducing fear and threats for a very, very long time, they might not have to say anything anymore. Them going away on a trip with kids or or camping, anything, just taking them for a weekend, even at their own home, can seem very threatening because you've been living in such a constant state of fear for so long that you fear that they won't be coming back, that they will keep them, that they will have some sort of reason to try to exert power and control over you and not return them at all, that they could have all this kind of stuff compiled against you waiting to kind of unleash it so they're ready for this moment to then like say hey these kids aren't coming home and you never know when that's going to happen and you've been living in such a constant state of fear for so long that this is a real threat even when they just go away for a weekend or a day or an hour and it, and it's scary that this is happening but you've been living in such fear for so long that this is a reality and it's a way that the long-term exposure of this creates this control and fear and threat that is just constant. And overall, uh, about all of these threats, I just want to say with everything that is going on when it comes to these threats and intimidations and fear-based tactics and manipulations, that everyone, you know, with all this stuff going on, you're living in this constant state of fear. And at that point, everything can feel and seem like a threat 
or you're just living in fear and you never know what is about to happen and you're in this hypervigilance and in some sort of, you know, fight, flight, freeze or fawn mode or response is kind of still ready and waiting to like just kind of go. You might constantly be in that state and it's a lonely and, and scary place to be. And it seems hopeless for so many people when you're in this constant long term exposure of it. And uh, my heart goes out to everyone who is constantly uh, feeling this, feeling like this, feeling like this, even after the relationship uh, is over as well. And, you know, this has been our episode on fears and threats. And I hope you uh, enjoyed this episode. Um, And I hope that you enjoyed this episode and learned uh, a lot from it. So thank you for listening to this episode. And if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. And there you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And if you are someone that needs support, we here at Narcissist Apocalypse have a support group. So at NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, there's a button that says support group. When you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. And inside, you'll see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We also have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you. It is a wonderful group of people on there, and you can share your experiences with all of them and make friends too. So if you need support, join our support group today. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. At DomesticShelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you're dealing with. They have every phone number and email address and web address for shelters and agencies, no matter how big or small the town you're in. DomesticShelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful free resource and organization. So if you need extra support, please do go to DomesticShelters.org. And another friend of the show is called Shelter Movers, and Shelter Movers can be found at sheltermovers.com. And Shelter Movers helps survivors of domestic violence transition to a better and safer life, and it is a volunteer organization, a donor-supported charitable organization as well. It is currently only in Canada, but they are looking to expand in the United States. And what they do is they help coordinate moves for people who are getting out of domestic violence. They help you to safety and get all of your things out of your home and into storage, all of your belongings into storage. And they can do this for your pets and livestock too. It is a wonderful organization. So if you need help from them or just want to donate to them, please go to sheltermovers.com. And that is it for today's Q&A episode. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you have a good night.